Welcome to Spill the Tea, a bi-weekly download of life, liberty, and the latest in culture and news with your hosts, Dr. Robert McClure and Sal Nuzzo. Good afternoon and welcome to Spill the Tea, the James Madison Institute's podcast done uh, regularly here at the James Madison Institute's headquarters. This is our first uh, podcast back in the new year and uh, we're shaking things up right off the bat. We have Bill Maddox with us here today who is the director of the Marshall Center for Educational Options. Bill, welcome. We're glad you're here. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's uh, And you're fresh off a return uh, from Ireland, the James Madison Institute and our policy work literally travels the world. Uh, and so uh, you were over there in Ireland for a conference and a presentation. Tell, tell our listeners about it. Yeah, so this was the 10-year anniversary of the uh, International School Choice and Reform Conference. It started in uh, Fort Lauderdale. In fact, our good friend Judy Stein was instrumental in getting this That's right. yeah. uh, conference organized uh, a decade or so ago. And we've taken part a number of times in Fort Lauderdale. But this is the second time that the conference has uh, been held in a European location. And um, so we went to Ireland and uh, led a session that was uh, that brought together a professor from NC State University and a friend of ours for uh, from Ed Choice in Indiana, Mike McShane. Yeah, and, sure. Yeah, Mike uh, uh, formerly uh, served on at the Show Me Institute in Missouri. All right was working remotely for um, Ed Choice from Missouri, even though Ed Choice is based in Indiana. And then, lo and behold, his wife during COVID said, you know, I'd really like to move closer to my family, uh, who all live back in Ireland. Oh, wow. And so he is now working remotely from Ireland for a U.S. Uh, nonprofit, Ed Choice. It's a brave new world it's we're a, living it's in. It's a brave new world. And, you know, I thought we were going to be going and you know, making a big splash with all these people moving to Florida during COVID because of school choice. And little did I know that people are not just moving to different states now because they can work remotely, but in Mike's case, they're now moving to different countries altogether. That has all kinds of ramifications (laughs) for work, for school, for the whole whole, uh, kit and caboodle. Uh, Before we get to uh, a quick question about the actual conference, how was the weather? What's the weather like in Ireland in January? It wasn't as bad as I thought. I mean, it was it was chilly, cold, and it was rainy. Little, it was a little bit rainy the, at, at the beginning, but it you know it was not a, a it was not unpleasant, and it was actually a lot greener than I thought it might be. Really? I guess because of some of the uh, precipitation and whatnot. But um, yeah, and and the other thing too is you know I've spent time in uh, England, and when. Before leaving, I was like, Jill, gosh, is there anything worth eating? Jill being your wife. Right. Yeah. Because I'm not a big fan of anything that the Brits really eat. Watch and, out now. <laughs> and lo and behold, I, you know, when I got there, it seemed like every meal was like roast beef and mashed potatoes, which for me was perfectly fine. So great I, comfort I, food, too, <laughs> exactly, in cold weather. It's exactly. That's it great. worked out fine. All right. Well, uh, Our listeners need to understand how much Bill presents on behalf of the James Madison Institute, not only uh, across the country, but as you've just heard, around the world uh, on a whole host of different uh, issues related to school choice, parental choice, uh, accountability, because really Florida leads the country. Did you get the feeling that being from Florida gave you some level of uh, gravitas or gave you some... uh, 
an imprimatur of some sort to, to kind of uh, help other folks in other states and countries uh, also grow their programs? Yeah, no, it's it, that, that was one of the things that was really striking. I'm accustomed to being in um, settings here in the United States where people turn to Florida and look for um, ideas and know that we are kind of out front on things. But it was really fascinating to see people from other parts of the world who not only were looking to the United States, but were, were looking particularly to Florida and took a keen interest in things that were happening here. So, right. yeah, our, our, our state is not just a national leader, but in many ways uh, an international leader on these, on these issues. Great. Well, let me turn from education to uh, viruses and lockdowns. You, unlike most people uh, in the country, experienced firsthand what other countries are doing uh, when it comes to the coronavirus lockdowns. Uh, obviously, we kind of take for granted what we have here in Florida. Maybe some of our listeners uh, don't have the same freedoms that we do uh, if they're listening and, and live in other states in, in America. Uh, what was the lockdown situation, the virus situation compared to living in a state like Florida? So I don't think that the rates of infections or things of that nature were that different in Ireland. It wasn't like it was way worse than any place here back in the States or whatnot. But I really was struck by just the elaborate um, hoops and barrels that you had to you know, jump over and jump through to get anything done. Um, you, you, just to go to a restaurant, for example, you had to show proof of vaccination wow. wherever you went. That was required as well for um, airline travel. And then not only did you have to have proof of vaccine, but you also then had to have proof of testing within 24 hours before flying um, in either direction. Vaccine and testing. Vaccine and testing. And so, I mean, that was one of the things that was a a number of people were really concerned about was getting stuck because, you know, you may have acquired the the virus while traveling, even though you're not symptomatic, you nevertheless are stuck for five days or 10 days or who knows what. Um, There was one woman at the conference that was fearful that she wouldn't be able to get back until February. And it's just crazy. It's just, I understand, you know, um, the reasons why people are wanting to be cautious, but I came back with a renewed appreciation for the way in which our governor and others here in our state have dealt with this. Um, You know, being careful to present information to people so that they can make wise choices, but giving people the freedom to use the information as they see fit to make wise decisions about how they should conduct their lives. Right. Interesting. Well, speaking of the governor, uh, as we record this, this is the first week of legislative session. The governor gave his state of the state uh, message yesterday and um, really came out swinging. He was very clear on views related to um, police and not defunding the police, and in fact, increasing opportunities for police to move from other states to Florida to work. The same with teachers, who wants to give teachers raises. Uh, Argued for greater and more school choice and uh, opportunity for families as a way to combat the woke culture as he calls it, and the cancel culture that we're all kind of living through really came out swinging uh, in a lot of very hard-hitting policy issues. And also, uh, 
you know, as we see Washington, D.C. more and more try to take over the lives of everyday Americans in the states, um, you know, Governor DeSantis kind of led with, we're going to be, he used the term, the vanguard of freedom in this country. And for those of us uh, policy nerds, you're talking about Tenth Amendments and federal, Tenth Amendment and federalism and those kinds of things. So really, the governor came out and has not backed down and has pushed back, has been very successful, whether it's vaccine mandates, school choice, a lot of different things, as he does combat what's happening in Washington, D.C. Give me your thoughts on kind of what you saw from the governor yesterday and the legislative session as we begin uh, this week. Well, I think he's right to take credit for and and to crow about, in a certain sense, the success that Florida has had compared to other places, because I think... Um, time has vindicated um, the uh, approach that he has taken that others in our state have taken. Um, so I'm, I, I don't fault him at all for, um, in a certain sense, claiming victory and saying we're going to continue down this same path. I, I do find it, um, in some ways, uh, pleasing to see him take such strong stands on some of these things, but also... Um, in some ways, uh, it's a sad commentary on the t- on the day we live in that reasonable ideas that he puts forward are seen as hard hitting, right. or you know, uh, um, uh, someone who is is doing something that seems kind of dangerous or courageous or whatnot. I mean, to to push back against critical race theory or some of the mm-hmm. things that he uh, spoke about should not be something that should um, these should not be controversial. And so I am pleased that he is someone who has staked out his ground and will stand his ground. But I lament the fact that that scene is being some, somehow unusual in our day. And yet uh, it is. Yeah. And, and more power to him. And it's happened so quickly. It's amazing how that's happened. Um, the James Madison Institute also has come out with its set of policy priorities for the legislative session. We want to continue to uh, expand um, free market health care at the state level. We're going to continue to uh, really drive the debate on fewer regulations for, for small businesses, lower taxes, uh, election integrity. And election integrity from the James Madison Institute standpoint simply means um, easy to vote for citizens, hard to cheat. That's all it is. It's nothing more, nothing nefarious, nothing more or less than that. And so we we continue to drive our policies um, in the education realm, which is your focus as the director of the J. Stanley Marshall Center for Educational Options. Um, what were the policy priorities that you put forth in the JMI document? And our listeners can go to jamesmadison.org to pull up JMI's policy of priorities. But specifically in the area of education, what did you put forth and what would you like to see happen with the legislature? So we have long wanted to see um, kind of a full flowering of education choice so that every single student has opportunity to take advantage of private school scholarships, charter schools, uh, the whole menu. And um, so universal school choice mm-hmm. for, for all students is certainly a priority, certainly something that we have continued to push for. And I'm, and I'm happy to report that there is a piece of legislation that Senator Diaz has introduced that would get us closer to that. 
that we will certainly be keeping an eye on, um, though, of course, we don't lobby. Um, but that's in con consistent with some of the ideas that we've championed. Another item that we include and have long included is the idea of having our scholarship programs named uh, for Mary McLeod Bethune. Mm -hmm. yep. This, we think, would be an appropriate year for that to take place because a statue of Dr. Bethune is going to be erected in the U.S. Capitol later this year. And, and remind we, our listeners who uh, Dr. Bethune was. Dr. Bethune was, of course, the founder of the school that eventually became Bethune-Cookman University. Our founder, Stan Marshall, uh, served on Bethune-Cookman's Board of Trustees for a number of years and was greatly inspired by her example. And so we have long wanted to see her story elevated in our state. We think the statue certainly helps, but we don't want to see students have to travel all the way to Washington, D.C. to learn her story. Right. We want the, her name to be in the public consciousness on a daily basis, and we think naming the scholarships um, in our state for her, in the, in the same way that we have um, higher ed scholarships that all fall under the, the banner or umbrella name of Bright Futures, we think something similar to that with K-12 scholarships would both simplify the process and make it easier for people to take advantage of um, different scholarship programs, but even more importantly, would elevate Dr. Bethune's story and her legacy. And with the um, opening of legislative session and our policy of priorities, you also released a recent policy brief that our listeners can also um, go to jamesmadison.org and learn more about. What was in the policy brief? Um, so it was, it was a presentation of the idea that I uh, briefly referenced earlier, which is um, given the fact that Florida has robust school choice programs and that a number of other states the legislators there are not responding to the kind of pent-up demand for school choice. We're saying, hey, not only should our business leaders and our governor be seeking to bring businesses to Florida, but they should invite workers who can now work remotely right. um, to come to Florida to bring with them their talented offspring. We'll give them the opportunity to enjoy options that they don't have back in their uh, former states. And we'll give uh, them a chance to contribute here to our economy and to our um, economic future. Because quite often when uh, students grow up here, they end up staying here lifelong right. and, and contributing to the Florida economy in the future. That's great. You know, you mentioned CRT. And obviously there are many uh, definitions of CRT that are floating around the country. My, my definition is just kind of in short the CRT that I am concerned with teaches there are two kinds of people. There are basically victims and predators. Uh, maybe predator is not the appropriate term, but those are the two kinds of people. And, and the curriculum is taught within the framework of that. You are either a victim or a predator, and we need to work through all that. I don't believe in that. Um, and so that's the CRT that we're really uh, very concerned with and trying to uh, push back on. The governor's been very clear with this. Um, but really, one of the simplest ways to combat CRT is what you said, which is the money follows the child. It is free and open school choice, parental choice, parental uh, school accountability, where the money simply follows the child. And to me, that would take care of any kind of concern or concept of CRT. What do you think of that? I, no, I think you're exactly right. And I, I have every confidence that the vast, vast majority of parents would do as we would want them to, right. which is to be certain that their children are in schools or in educational settings where they are basically taught the ideas that uh, Martin Luther King championed of judging people not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And, um, and teaching in American history, 
warts and all, that acknowledges the shortcomings and mistakes that our country has made, but also helps students understand why ours is the longest um, successful experiment in liberty that the world has ever known, and one that ought to be celebrated and appreciated for what it has um, done, while we continue to work to um, form a more perfect union. Right. You know, uh, Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King, neither of them, the the, the kind of iconic uh, early and later um, uh, leaders of the civil rights movement, I guess, if you would, if there was one when Frederick Douglass was coming along. Neither one of them wanted to tear down or, or pull up by the roots the fabric of the founding of this country. They simply wanted it to fulfill its purpose right. in the founding documents. But I guess that's a discussion for another day. Um, you're very familiar, obviously, given what you do with what's happening in Chicago and the Chicago Teachers Unions. Um, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't you know, acknowledge what is happening there. Can you give some thoughts on... On that, uh, it, and 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 kind of where that heads, and what people are thinking, what you're hearing. It, it's remarkable to me that the teachers' unions are just continue to be so tone deaf, to the point that now there are Democratic leaders like, you know, Lori Lightfoot, the right. mayor, who is saying that the teachers' union has turned their city into a laughingstock, and Jen Psaki, the press secretary for uh, President Biden who are also saying, hey, it is it is safe for students to return to the classroom, even in Chicago. And so you now have people on the left, Democratic uh, elected officials, knowing just how poorly this plays in, P- in Peoria, right. wanting to distance themselves from the teachers' unions. And, you know, I, I, I hope that others will take note and will remember this because— this is, um, in many ways, emblematic of what we have seen too often from teachers' unions in staking out extreme positions that are not in the best interests of students and using their political clout to their advantage. And this is, again, part of the reason why we believe that things like school choice are so important so that parents and students are not held hostage by right. people who are... Um, you know, behaving irresponsibly. Yeah, one one more reason, if as if we needed more, what ha- what is happening in Chicago is one more reason for school choice, and I think there's a misconception oftentimes when people read the papers or read uh, online that somehow teachers unions represent teachers, like on the ground teachers. They don't. They represent teacher union bosses and they represent the system and they represent the politics, power and money that comes with running the system. So we separate teachers unions mm-hmm. from good, hardworking teachers on the ground. And I think that's important to understand. Yeah, and I th- I'm sure this is part of the reason why the governor wants to provide uh, pay raises for our teachers in our state, as well as um, uh, bonus money as well for them and for first responders there again, kind of making, drawing this distinction between teachers that are doing, you know, a, a lot of heavy lifting during a COVID period versus the unions that are so often working against the public interest. Right. I've always believed you pay good teachers really, really well as long as you can get rid of the really, really bad teachers. Yeah, I'm with you. Let's shift to culture just a little bit. And sports, there's a lot going on there. Just some uh, small things. Well, not small things. 
Uh, this one's a hard one for me to bring up as um, a, a Florida Gator fan, but uh, you'll be very happy. Maybe you heard Georgia, the University of Georgia, won the national championship in college football. They finally cut the head off the snake yes. called the Alabama Crimson Tide, which is refreshing that someone yes. other than Alabama won. So congratulations there. But I feel a little bit like Fonzie from the old happy days. It's, I can hardly say it. I can barely say congratulations, but congratulations. Well, as a proud University of Georgia uh, School of Journalism grad, I am delighted. I was there when they won their last uh, national championship 41 years ago, and so it took too long to do it again, but I was glad to see them do it. No more 1980 jokes about the University of Georgia <laughs> football team, so congratulations. We got the NFL playoffs coming. Um we had Black Monday, which is the day after the season ends when all the coaches are fired. Um, the I guess it was the Raiders-Chargers game. Was it Raiders-Chargers at the end? The very last game of the very end of the season uh, came down. It was tied. Uh, and if they had tied, they would have both gone to the playoffs. But... Uh, if, if, if one of them won, the winner would go to the playoffs and then the Steelers would go. And that's what it came down to. Uh, Daniel Carlson for the Oakland Raiders kicked the field goal. Um, point of personal privilege. I know Daniel. Oh. know his family. Uh, and uh, he made the field goal for the Raiders to win it. And I, 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 for me, I'm a college sports guy. Mm-hmm. I love college sports. I can watch the most obscure college football game, college basketball game, especially a college football game in inclement weather. I just love it. The pros, I don't really get interested till the end of the season, whether mm-hmm. it's the Major League Baseball, and I know you're a big baseball guy, uh, season or the NBA or the NFL. It's just too long. So game 40 of the NBA season or the Major League Baseball season doesn't interest me. But the playoffs, no. I get very excited about. And so I'm really excited about the NFL playoffs. Um, it's, it's, it's nice to see new and different teams in there. What are your thoughts on the playoffs? And do you have uh, – do you have a prediction of who's going to play who in the Super Bowl? Well, I guess the the money is all on uh, Green Bay, although I'm hopeful that Tampa Bay can return because I really enjoyed seeing their run last year. In many ways, the, the kind of dream matchup that I'd like to see would be Brady versus Belichick, but mm-hmm. I really don't know that the Patriots have what it takes to um, get through the AFC. But But I will say this. I hope that we don't see a game like that one is as exciting as it was uh, that the Raiders and Chargers played because, at least in the future, I think that it would be well for both college and um, the NFL to change their overtime rules to avoid situations like that. And the change that I would want to see made is a pretty simple one. And it takes a little bit of the kick out of football, if you will. But the idea would be this, that in overtime periods, you cannot kick to tie the game. So if the Raiders come down and kick a field goal to go ahead, the Chargers at that point can't go down and do as they did and kick a field goal to tie it in overtime. They would have to score a touchdown in order to win. Right. Or if the if the Raiders had scored a touchdown and kicked an extra point, the Chargers then would have had to go down, score a touchdown, and go for two. You can't kick to tie in overtime, and I think that would shorten games and prevent some of the – Crazy things. I mean, the, the the college game now has this weird thing where they do two point conversions right. over and over it's again. Like the and third overtime. Yeah, I it's just remember. it's just kind of it's kind of peculiar. And I really think that by taking a little bit of the kick out of football, you could solve the problems of overtime games in both 
uh, college and pros. Great. Yep, I agree. Finally, I'll say very quickly, um, uh, non-sport related, culture related, because this is just, I think, rich. The Golden Globes were not on TV this year, and I'm of the firm belief that they were not on television this year because money was not to be made because people have quit watching these award shows and their left-wing politics. But I won't ask you to comment on that. Let's keep moving forward. I just thought it was the irony was rich, and there were crickets in the media, but we'll keep moving. The last sports uh, component is actually relevant to much of what we've been talking about Ireland and Florida. Novak Djokovic, um, winner of multi-multi-multi uh, Grand Slam titles, uh, was going to play in the Australian Open, but now... Um, was apparently uh, moved to the witness protection program in some safe harbor because he wasn't allowed to uh, take the court. Tennis is obviously not a team sport. It's not as though he was going to breathe or cough on anyone, although even if he did, it wouldn't be a problem in my opinion. But uh, your thoughts on uh, what's happening there in Australia with Djokovic and what he was doing? It's... I, to me, it's just another example of what happens when people have grown so fearful that they freak out over things that they probably ought not freak out over. And I lament that you see entire cultures that have kind of bought into this fearfulness. And again, I think that has been in many ways the struggle in our country over the last 18 months or um, whatnot. Uh, the, the struggle between those that are fearful of everything, it seems, versus those who are trying to find reasonable places where we can enjoy our life and and take responsible action as we see fit to avoid um, unnecessary risk. So I, I hope they can straighten this out in a way that um, allows them to play. You know, it would be a shame to see his uh, string of Grand Slam uh, victories. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thwarted by this, and so I, I hope they can figure out a way to make it make it happen. Well, the discussion of the future consequences of the fearfulness of COVID is uh, a podcast for another day, but it's worth delving into. Bill Maddox, director of the Marshall Center for Educational Options here at the James Madison Institute, thank you for joining us. Yeah, today. thank you. Enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Spill the Tea. For more content from the James Madison Institute, follow us on social media or check out our website at jamesmadison.org.